You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Luke 9, 1 through 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all about that, all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such a thing? And he sought out to see them. We had um, we have some friends from Texas. Uh, she works for Southwest, and so periodically they can they just jump on a plane if there's a spot. Not jump on a plane. They go get in a seat on a plane. Excuse me. If there's an empty seat, they can get on it and they can fly. And uh, they came out, I guess, Friday night, and then we had breakfast and lunch and hung out, and um, and then they flew back last night. I guess you could you could do that if your flight's free. They um, they're great. Great friends of ours, and he does um, he does professional coaching. He was a pastor, and now he does professional coaching with people as well. And um, and he he shared something with me I've never heard before. Maybe some of you know this. Do you know the drama triangle? The drama triangle. The drama triangle says this. It's about interpersonal um, connections. You mind putting that up? And um, there's three different people in the drama triangle. They use this in business, um, but really kind of any like conflict resolution, things like that. There's the, um, when drama exists, there's a persecutor that just blames it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. And people just wear that hat and slip into that role. And uh, the other one is the uh, a rescuer, which is just the, let me help you, let me help you, let me help you, let me help you. And they feed off helping other people. And so they're looking for problems to go and fix. And then the third is the victim. And these are extremes, obviously. Obviously, there really are victims oftentimes in these, but this is the person who always gets in that spot of, um, of I'm the victim, woe is me, woe is me, and everything that happens is negative and negative, and just looking for that negative. And so this is my buddy John will coach people with this, and he'll, he says, I, he's been using this a ton, and he says he spots this immediately, and he'll use this with his clients to look and, and go, uh, who, who are you being right now? Like victimhood is the one that he gets the most, where people go, you know, everybody's, everybody's against me. I can't do the things I need to do because it's somebody else's fault. I'm gonna persecute, I'm gonna blame somebody else. It's never my fault, I'm just the victim here. And so he, he, he talks with them. Apparently this is very common in this coaching thing. And, and what he tries to get them to do is to shift their mindset to figure out which one they're being so they can name it. And then they can go, I need to shift my mindset now away from this. And so what he really does is he talks with people about getting a new mindset in those interactions and really a new mindset in life. And Jesus does actually a very similar thing with his followers that they're, they're probably seeing the world in one way. And what he's about to do is send them out. And he's going to say, you're going to have to have a shift in your mindset. This is really crucial because oftentimes we just think, I just need to change my actions. I just need to change what I do, and actually what needs to happen is we need to shift our mindset about something. And so Jesus is going to do that with his disciples. And if you, um, if you remember, if you've been here, we've been talking through Luke, or if you've been watching online, Jesus, right before this, 
right before this, has shown that he, is, he has power over the supernatural. The wind and the waves, he tells them to stop. That he, or I'm sorry, the natural world. Then he shows he has power over the supernatural world. The demoniac, the demons start trembling when they see him. Um, then after that, you've got the natural world, the supernatural world, then over sickness, you have the sick woman, and then you have the little girl that dies, and he shows that he has power over death. So he's saying, this is who I am. This is where my power lies. And then apparently the 12, I sort of pictured them like they were just buddies and just clumped with Jesus and never left. But apparently they have, some of them have homes and families and hobbies and things. And it says, he called the 12 Together, you heard Caroline read it, they call, he called the 12 together from wherever they were and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So he calls them together and then he says, uh, he gives them power and authority, which is very important because that means Jesus has the power and authority to be able to give. If I say you have all power and authority to do something, you would say that doesn't really matter for much, Jim, but thank you. But Jesus can and he does. And you saw where we just were and what uh, he just said that he had, he just demonstrated he had power over. And power and authority is vital. And here's why. Picture a, um, a really rough block, like a really rough neighborhood. And you've got a street gang that comes in and they've got power and so they're kind of running, but they don't really have any explicit authority to be able to, to do it. They just are using their power. And then now they know, you know they don't have all the authority because a police car drives up and they start to panic. He has authority, but he doesn't have any backup, so he doesn't have any power to actually enforce the authority that he has. And so you have this messy situation. Now imagine somebody calls in the National Guard and for some reason, tanks start rolling up. They've got their gear, they've got their badges, they've got their IDs, and they roll up and they have explicit authority to be able to govern there, to be able to help there, and they have the power to be able to do so. You have to have both. If they're gonna go here, they have to have both. And Jesus says you have both power and you have authority. And so what happens is it says in verse two, it says, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And the word sent is the word apostolos, where we get the word apostle. So they had been disciples and they still will be disciples. They are learners. They are followers of Jesus. They're sitting at his feet. They're walking where he walks. And then he says, okay, now it's your turn. And now I am going to send you out to demonstrate your obedience. Sometimes we can, get, we can get real stuck at just the disciple part. I'm just gonna learn and learn and learn and learn, and I'm gonna cram my head full of things, but I will never actually go put that into practice like Christ has called us to do. And there's a real danger at just stopping at the head knowledge, just stopping at, I'm, I'm, I'm following, I'm using disciple and apostle a little bit loosely now, admittedly, but I'm just going to learn and I'm never going to do there's a real danger in that if you think about it. In fact, I've found that in churches uh, over my years, I don't have any data on this, but it tends to be some of those who are the least active in, in living out their faith tend to be the loudest critics. I'm gonna sit back, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna study, and I'm going to criticize. Um, pe this is people go to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. 
This is, um, but they're not doing it. It's easy to become a critic if you're just a disciple. I was, um, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When I was in high school, I was, I was sort of a cheerleader. I don't know if I've shared this with you before. I wasn't really a cheerleader. It was, you had all the cheerleaders, all, they were all female. And then you had like maybe six or so of us guys that they, that didn't play football. And they said, do you want to, you know, do you want to be a cheerleader? We're like, no. And then they said, well, you basically get to hang out with the cheerleaders you get into the games free and you have to just yell on a megaphone every so often. I was like, well, sign me up. So we did. So we did that. And I remember, and I played other sports and stuff. And I remember there was this one cheerleader who was super, super tiny and um, like just super petite. And she would watch the games and she from the sidelines would get so incredibly mad. And like, she would like, they'd be doing their cheers and stuff. And then like, you know, one of the guys in the other team would be running. And from our little vantage point back there, he would just bowl over one of our defenders. And she would be, she, this, this little girl, would be, or young, this young woman who was very tiny would be like, just tackle him, tackle him. And she's like, why aren't they tackling him? Why don't they just tackle these guys? Over and over and over. And I'm sitting there looking at her. And I mean, this is me looking down at her. So you know, she's tiny. And I'm looking at her and she just keeps on going like, why don't they just play better? Why don't they just tackle? Why don't they block better? Why don't they just, why don't they just, why don't they just? And so finally, the, the, the big running back on the other team was sort of standing over by, the, by our sideline. And he, was, and he was just standing there. There was a timeout or something. And he was there or an injury. And so I, and I, we couldn't take it anymore. And so I got her and I walked her over and let her stand right next to the guy. And then she goes like this and looks up and goes, oh. But if you're on the sideline, you can go, tackle, 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 tackle. And I want to go, you do it. You, you, you go ahead. You go ahead. You tackle him. There's a lot of times Christians, if we're not careful, we can do that. I want to learn. I want to, I want to know all these things. And then it's easier to just sit back and say, you guys should do this and you should do it this way. Get in the game. That's what he's calling the disciples to do. And he's now going to send them as apostles. And what he's going to do is uh, he's going to say, he sent them out to do two things, proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal this may be helpful. If you're someone that it's hard to go and do, but you love the learning piece, think of it like this. We know that the best way to learn is by doing. When I study the scriptures on my own, I can understand. And at the same time, when I'm prepping it to go, I need to, I need to teach this to others. And then I always want to go live it out myself before I stand up here and go, you guys should live it out and then you know, take off. And when I start doing that, it's, I start learning more and more about practically how this actually lives out. This is the, the, the chef that just reads all the cookbooks and never actually cooks something. He'll go cook is what he's telling them to do. And so what he calls them to do is to go proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Um, now, <clears throat> heal meaning heal others is what he's saying. Now, the kingdom of God, this idea of the kingdom has been a subject of great discussion, shall we say, over the centuries in church history. What is meant when you say the kingdom of God? And you may not know that it's that controversial, but it is. And what is meant when you say the kingdom of God? Because we're supposed to seek first the kingdom, so we should probably have a clue what it is we're trying to seek first. 
And so on, on one hand, you ask the question, is it this, this kingdom of God that one day will come to earth and he will, have his, he will finally crush his enemies and it is, a, it is a future reality that we're looking forward to, the ultimate reign of Jesus Christ at the end of all time? Well, you could get that. I mean, you all just said it earlier in the service, by the way. I don't know if you remember. We said, thy kingdom come. In 1 Corinthians 15, he's ta- it's a passage Paul's talking about the future resurrection. And then he says, then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So he's talking about in the end, he's talking about some final things and it's talking about Jesus and the kingdom and delivering it to God the Father. And so without getting into nuance, there's some future aspect of the kingdom of God. But then what do you do when John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? There's some immediacy to it as well. Jesus says it later a few times. In Mark 1, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe the gospel. And so how do we understand? Because the disciples are are to go preach the kingdom of God. And what is the the best way that we can understand this? And um, here's the uh, the best way that I could think of is um, when you think about the kingdom of God, think about the kingship of Jesus Christ the kingship of Jesus Christ. You could think of it like this, that he is ruling and reigning right now, immediately. That he is the king of kings and lord of lords. That he is the sovereign one over all the earth. But at the same time, there's a future element to this idea of the kingdom when the kingdom will finally be consummated and he will finally give final defeat to his enemies. So there's an element that's now, and there's an element that is yet to come. So the way they talk about it theologically is the phrase, already, not yet. Already, not yet. There's elements of living in the kingdom of God uh, that we're in right now, but it will come to its final fruition someday at the end of all things. So you could think of it like this, that the war is ultimately won, but the battle rages on even though Jesus Christ is king. Confusing? Let's muddy the waters even more, how about? And John 18, uh, we get the nature of this kingdom. If you remember, it's Pilate with Jesus. And, um, and Pilate is asking him, are you the king of the Jews? Because your own nation, your own chief priests, the leaders of the Jewish nation, the religious leaders, they're the ones that delivered you up to me. And so um, you're, not, you're not a very good king, but are you saying that you're the king of the Jews? Because this isn't making sense to Pilate. If you're their king, why are they delivering you up to me? And Jesus answered, listen to this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
So you have this element of the kingly reign of Jesus that's happening now, and it's a picture or a hint of what will, what will happen in its completion someday when Christ returns. That's the reality we're living in. But Jesus and Pilate are talking, and you can see Pilate going, if you're a king, you're not a very good king, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I know why you're saying that, Pilate, because you think of a king the same way you think of our earthly kings. You have this Roman empire in your mind, and so that's why you're saying to me, Jesus, uh, you're not a very good king. But he says, my kingdom's not from this world. My kingdom is not like the other kingdoms in this world, is essentially what he's saying to him. You're understanding my kingdom, Pilate, to be just like yours. And what he would say if he fleshed it out would probably be something like, your kingdoms that you come up with on earth are very temporary, and my kingdom is eternal. Your kingdom can end at any moment. And they would, Rome, Rome would have known this. They had the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Assyrians, the, uh, the Persians. They just defeated the Greeks re- pretty, pretty recently in history. And now the Romans are there. And so he could go, hey, yours is temporary and mine is inevitably coming and it will be here for all eternity. That's what he could say to him because you're thinking, Pilate, like a physical kingdom and mine is a spiritual kingdom. Yours, Pilate, is limited to some region or some place. When you think about, when you think about a physical kingdom, you think about land laws and leaders. This is the place that we live. This is how we conduct ourselves as a nation and these are the leaders over us. We think that's a kingdom. And Jesus is saying, mine, yours is a physical kingdom. Mine is a spiritual kingdom. And it goes, it transcends all those other things. It transcends geography. It transcends language, you know, language barriers and things. Yours is limited to a region. Mine is going wherever my message goes. So somebody could be a citizen of the UK and they're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven be a citizen of the United States and be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And actually what Jesus is trying to say is our citizenship in heaven comes first. That is our first kingdom that we're a part of and then we happen to be Americans. And here's what he says next. What's required to be a citizen of this kingdom? Listen to this in verse three. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. That last part really means don't go to one house and stay there for a little bit, and then look and go, they've got a pretty sweet house over there. Let's upgrade and just keep moving and just upgrading in the area. But the big part is take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Imagine Jesus calling them together and saying, don't, you're going to go on a journey, but don't take the walking stick with you. Don't take that staff with you. Don't take a bag that keeps all these provisions for you. Don't take bread, the basic needs to be able to remain alive and have energy for the mission and the journey and the travels that I've called you to. Don't take money as your backup plan in case I don't provide for you and you got to go buy something. Don't bring this extra tunic, a change of clothes. Don't bring this thing to give you this extra comfort. Like, can you imagine if we're about to set out and we're about to do a really long hike? 
All right, Coloradans, let's think about this. You're gonna do a really long hike. And so you go, I'm not sure if we're gonna go all the way to the end, which could be like overnight. So we've got a tent, we've got trekking poles, we've got, I've got a puffy that I stuff in here. I've got the jeans that do the little zip off thing. I've got gloves, I've got a hat, I've got all those things. I've got money, cause we're gonna be walking along the road if we need something. I've got food. Um, I have all these different things to prepare me just in case for my journey. And Jesus goes, you're going on a journey, set that stuff down and walk. What a remarkable thing to say. The audacity of Jesus to say, go, leave that stuff here and go. And go now. So you probably guess this. It's not about bags and bread and money and all that kind of stuff. It's about trust. That Jesus is saying, you're going to go and I'm going to provide and you are going to go and you are going to tell people to trust me, you first. You talk about some trust that has to happen. Set down my backpack. All right. Take off my, my rain jacket here. Jesus, all right. It's a long way. I'd love to have some. All right. Don't bring bread or water. Seriously? Yep. I'm going to provide all that. Trust me. That's what's required. Trust. He sends them out on the greatest of missions with the fewest of possessions. And then he sets them up for the fact that people are not going to believe them. Verse five, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. Now, here's how we normally hear that. Um, angry Christians like to use that as a, as a phrase to go, I can just, you know, these people are dead to me. If they don't believe me, they're just dead to me. That's not at all what he's talking about. But you picture like, hey, leave that town and they didn't believe you. And so you just scowl and you just shake the dust off your feet and you leave them behind. You have this like, like just a horrible attitude towards the people. And we sort of read it like that, but that's not at all what's happening here. What he's saying is you take this message of God, you take this gospel message of my kingdom, that there's a kingdom that's higher than Caesar, you take this to them, and then if they don't believe you, shake the dust off your feet, meaning this. In that world, very devout Jews especially would go to lands that were Gentile lands. They might even go into the house of a Gentile or go to a place that, that was not where their fellow Jews lived. It was the Gentile lands. And as they would leave those lands, they wanted to have this symbolism to say they are not followers of God. It's not that we are better than them. It's not that we hate them. It's that we are distinct from them. And so what they would say is we are so distinct. We worship in that day Yahweh. We worship God. And so I don't even want the tiniest bit of dust from their lands to cling with me. And so obviously, like, sin doesn't go with the, the grains of sand or anything like that. But what it's saying is it's a reminder to these Jews, to these followers of God, as they would leave Gentile lands, to say we are separate and distinct. We worship Yahweh. We're not supposed to be like them. We are supposed to be different. We have our king, God. And so you see, it's not a like, oh, those yeah, Gentiles walking out. This is just a reminder to yourself, to the people you're with, we follow God. It's interesting um, today, this, this uh, symbolism of, you know, if, if, we, if we are with non-believers, 
One of the tragedies I see among Christians today is not just like, ah, it's just a little dust. Like, it's almost like you're sort of welcoming the dust. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll be like them. I'll forget that I'm called to be set apart from the things of the world, and I'll just, I'll behave and think and talk and act just like them. And the reality is, it's a reminder for them, it's a reminder for us to say we are Christians. We follow, we follow Christ. We follow the God of the universe. When, when we see people living apart from God, often what happens is Christians, for some reason, I don't know why, have something in them that, that, that they can look and it can almost be appealing. Like, like some Christians can look and almost go, we should aspire to be more like them in certain ways. And, and what, he, what he is saying here is notice the distinction between Christians and non-Christians. Not, not hierarchy, anything like that. All he's saying is you need to note a distinction, that they're in a different kingdom, the kingdom of the world. We're in the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying to them. We should grieve. We should grieve when we see pockets or we see people, we see pockets of the, of the world, we see people where the, the, the rule of God, the fear of God is absent. We shouldn't think, oh, yeah, they have a lot of freedom now to do whatever they want and things like that. We should grieve for them. We should bring the good news to them. So I read this and I look and I, I start to think like, really stinks, but at the same time, man, we've got a shot to be like the apostles. We've had, it, we've had it easy in America, to be quite honest, for quite some time. Much easier anyway than they did. What an opportunity to go and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me go to verse six. It says, they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Notice they're not just going around and when it says preaching the gospel, they're, they're talking about the kingdom of God, that there's a king, Jesus Christ, that he came and he bled and he died, that you can be in relationship with him if you have trust. If you trust in him. This isn't go and preach your opinions or even the world's opinions. Don't go and conform to the world guessing, well, they kind of think this is true, so let me kind of mix that in. This is not even societal reform. That is not their message. Their message is the kingdom of God. Not that societal reform is not a bad thing, but that's not their primary message. Notice he doesn't just say, go preach good works. That's a big one that comes up today. I had one, one example of this. I'm gonna do a straw man, I'm gonna admit, but there was a woman that I talked to, this was years ago, and she was talking about, we were talking about evangelism, and she said, I evangelize all the time. I said, what do you mean? And she said, um, I try to be the kindest person that I know. And I said, that's great. Let's get back to evangelism. Do you actually evangelize? Do you actually share your faith? And this was her example. She said, I said, give me an example. And she said, like this morning at Starbucks, I went through and I... I paid it forward. I bought the coffee for the person behind me. Now, the context we were in was evangelism. And so, and her answer was, I bought another woman's Starbucks that was behind me. If we're just nice and do good works, but it's rooted in nothing it can actually almost have the adverse effect that it's just about being nice, that it can perpetuate the idea that we're basically good people and all we have to do is be nice and we can fix things on our own. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is we need a savior and we have one. 
We'll live in ways that don't make sense. So think about this. Maybe you're with people and you have a, you have a friend that's in the hospital or going through something really difficult. And you can live in such a way that is distinct and different and you radiate the peace of Christ, even in a hard moment. And then you have an opportunity to tie that for people to your faith in Jesus Christ. Or um, <clears throat> don't think of people when I say this, but perhaps someone that um, is a real jerk, just somebody that, you know, maybe it's at business or in your neighborhood or something that just nobody really likes. And people watch you be much quicker to forgive and to try and support and help him change. Why are you like that? Because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Or you can watch people. This is a big one, I think, today. You maybe go to work and you have this fear of, um, of uh, whatever just happened in the news has just gripped you with fear. And you sit down to talk and you watch everybody else freaking out, everybody else talking about it, everybody else trying to be in the know. And you are just kind of that eye of the storm there, calmly knowing that the kingdom that you live in is not of this world. It's not that those things don't matter, but it's not the ultimate thing for you and for me. This countercultural message, he's saying, puts us at odds with others, but can also entice some people. Because I got to tell you, all those things I just mentioned, when you are countercultural, oftentimes some people will hate you and some people will look and go, thank God. Thank God someone's living and they're forgiving others. Thank God someone's not, someone's not, their world is not rising and falling with the latest thing that's on the news. Herod did that, by the way. Listen to this. Um, Herod's amazed by this. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. These people are going preaching a different kingdom in my kingdom. What are they doing? Don't they know the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome? They've got the good cushy life. And now here we are. And they're out there preaching this other message. It was said by some that John, John the Baptist, had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, we hear that in another gospel, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Does it sound ominous? Ominous? It should. In Jesus' day, the storm clouds are starting to gather against the gospel. Sound familiar? Do you see any storm clouds gathering against the good news of Jesus Christ today? Yet at the same time, do we still see faithful messengers in the midst of it? Of course. What do we do with this? I think it's quite simple, actually. We have to choose a kingdom. We have to choose a kingdom. Our kingdom can be America, our kingdom could be, oh, maybe, maybe for kids it could be, um, you've got your, it, it sounds strange to say, but like your friend group can be your own little kingdom and there's someone who's leading it and everything revolves around that little group. Or maybe it's if you're in Colorado, just this state is your kingdom and everything about it is just all about Colorado, Colorado, Colorado. Maybe your family is your ultimate kingdom. Maybe the nation is your ultimate kingdom. And what he's saying is we have to choose a kingdom and then live in light of that. 
Option one is we can create our own temporary kingdoms and be at the mercy of all the people around us, make them kings and queens in our lives, or we can do the eternally tried and true kingdom of God that is present now and will inevitably ultimately return to restore all things. I'd say very simply, we're a part of the kingdom of God, so we should live like it. Uh, one other thought here is um, we, we hear all the time, I just, I don't feel like I can really go live my faith strongly because I don't have all the answers. You notice what Jesus says to the disciples. What is the prerequisite to go and share your faith? It's not getting every answer. It is not omniscience, it's trust. Amen. That's it. Trust me and go and I will provide for you the things that you need. So choose your kingdom. One of the kingdoms is not even remotely worth living for. Any kingdom of this world. And there's one kingdom, the kingdom of God, that is worth dying for. That's what he says to these men as he sends them out and says, people aren't gonna like you. But you go and you bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. Bring them the news of the kingdom. This changes everything when we understand this, this concept of the kingdom. Nikki and I were hiking the other day, and um, I've been studying the book of Revelation because I, I have so much to learn about that. I've been studying it and studying end times and all that and looking at different perspectives. And, um, and we're hiking, and so she asks me, you know, what have you been studying? This is, this is what pastor's families do when we're hiking. She's like, what, tell me about Revelation. So I'm, we're talking about it, and, um, and I said, we were talking about if we, if we figured out all these nuances, does it really matter? Do we know that we win in the end? That should be enough. And I was like, yeah, that sort of makes sense. But there's, there is some nuance that I think is important. And the one that came to mind for me is, think about this in light of talking about the kingdom of God today. John is on the island of Patmos, if you don't know it. He gets this revelation, and then he gets this image of what is happening in heaven. And he has this image of God seated on his throne, and then, um, and then these, these beasts, it's this whole, it's this whole scene of, of beasts and elders that are, that are falling down and worshiping him and bringing bring praise and honor and glory to him. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and people were created. This is what's happening. There's worship of God going on in heaven right now. And what we are doing as we enter this place today is we come in joining in the chorus of what they are doing right now, worshiping God. That's what's happening. And when we start to see that and when we know that we have a king that is on his throne and he is in heaven and he is watching over all the earth and he is far superior to any kingdom that you and I could possibly create, that changes everything and that is a kingdom that is worth dying for. Well, he says to them, go. Bring the kingdom of God, declare your kingdom, choose your kingdom and go and bring that kingdom message to those around you. 
So here's how I wanna close today. I wanna pause and pray, and I just wanna make it simple. For some of you, this is easy. You've got some people that maybe you're, in, or easy-ish, you've got some people you're investing in and you're sharing with, and you've moved past just the, I'm just gonna be a nice person around them and think they'll go to heaven because I bought them Starbucks or whatever it is. You've gone past that, all right? There's some people here that really are intentionally investing in gospel ways with other people. And there's some that the, this step just feels, oh my goodness, this just feels like a lot. So here's all we're gonna do. If you could just take a minute and bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm gonna ask, uh, ask you to consider something. I'm gonna ask the Lord to do something. I had a man tell me a, a while back when I was overwhelmed years ago, he just said, ask God to show you the next faithful step. And so today, let's just ask that of God, that he would bring to mind somebody for you to whom you could bring this message of the kingdom of God, that you could maybe deepen a conversation that you've been having or maybe um, start one that you've never had before, that God might just place on your heart just one person or one family that you can go to. Now let's ask God to provide the means that as you go intentionally to be with them, that he might provide the opportunity in conversation, that there would be some way that the kingdom of God can be spoken about, not just shown, but spoken about. Father, help us always be disciples, always be followers of you, following in your footsteps, learning from you. But God, may we never stop there. Would we be, in a sense, apostles? Would we be sent to go and to learn by doing? I pray for courage for my brothers and sisters here. Pray for courage for me as um, we can wander into uncomfortable areas where all we have is the trust of you. Father, we pray you go before us that you would do divine works among us, that we might just marvel at what you have done after conversations or emails or Zoom calls or phone calls or whatever it might be. For those that may doubt that they can actually be a part of this message bringing, I pray that you would erase all doubt. These 12 ordinary unschooled men that went out and changed the world, one of whom is Judas. Father, we pray that you would use us like them, that the world might be changed by the good news of the kingdom of God through us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.